Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on all the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value and the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics. And our community repair events that here in London called Restart Parties are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter, co-founder of the Restart Project, and I'm joined by Lauren Colley, our radio intern. Welcome. Hello. And actually, today we are going to talk about some new shiny, shiny stuff. This is a bit of a break for us. Um, we're going to talk about virtual reality, and um, I am actually suffering from a very non-virtual head cold, so <laughs> excuse me if I'm a little bit hoarse. Um, We'd like to talk about virtual reality partly just because it was one, it's one of those technologies that is seemingly every year for the past couple of years we've been told is going to be the big thing that everyone's going to be using. And um, we've had a couple of experiences lately ourselves, um, not so much um, as consumers, but as, well, as uh, exhibition goers and mm. as citizens that interested us in the potential of virtual reality. Um, but just to say that um, before we get started, maybe the notion of virtual reality is not such a new shiny, shiny notion, Lauren, is it? No. So we've had a look online and basically the the concept of virtual reality has been around for ages. I mean, it's been around since the 30s. There was a, a short story by Stanley Weinbaum published called Pig Pygmalion Spectacles, which basically involves the immersion of a character in a sort of virtual world. And then after that, I mean, yeah, there are a series of technologies like the Viewmaster Stereoscope, which I remember of, that, yeah, yeah, from childhood. Yeah, it's. I mean, at the time, it's really it was really fun. You just kind of see these slides looking in front of your eyes, and but everything else. And is stereoscopes dark. actually go existed before the thir the thirties. I mean, they existed, I guess, almost towards the beginning of photography. So that notion that yeah. that photography could become a more immersive medi medium that you could get closer and have a more 3D experience. Yeah, I think it's something that people have always been really preoccupied with. I mean, that idea sort of like kind of translating a dream to real life and allowing you to interact with something that's not physically happening, but that feels like it is. Yeah, um, and um, okay, so, but virtual reality, and there even, there even were some other attempts, okay, post-Viewmaster, yeah. that, that, that uh, <laughs> you and I remember from childhood that may have involved like a massive kind of headset that would um that would that you'd wear on like fully like a helmet basically not yeah a headset. all those ones that were sort of like a ride where you'd climb into a kind of shuttle and it would have screens on the side and then you'd shake around and sort of like a roller coaster but it didn't actually move anywhere and often it would project the image of a roller coaster on the screen so i, I mean i know what those that. are called but i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about <laughs> yeah so um and uh, recently, since about um, since about 2012, there's been a lot of talk of virtual reality, and we'll get into, you know, the hardware and the software behind that. Um, but we thought we'd start with just some real experiences that you and I have had um, with virtual reality. Um, um, and well, I guess just by way of a definition, so virtual reality would uh, is 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 used to describe like essentially an immersive and mostly interactive experience that you would have with yeah. you know using well i think that's what means. yeah i think the the interactive element is what distinguishes it from 360 video for example um but i mean a good way of distinguishing between vr and ar which is augmented reality 
is that VR immerses the viewer in a virtual space and AR brings the virtual into a real space. So that's kind of like the standard. Yeah. So last year we were talking about Pokemon Go, which is, and you saw people running around the real world, looking at their mobiles and seeing an augmented version of the real world. Mm. Here we're talking about um, the user or the viewer being in, inhabiting a different space and having interactions with um, virtual or unreal um, uh, actors or objects. Yeah. Um, well, um, I saw uh, the Bjork Digital exhibit at um, Somerset House last year, and it gave me a lot of kind of insight into the potential of virtual reality, um, t the trans uh, transformative or, tr you know, the potential to, to transport the the um, the person experiencing it. And um, but it also gave me a, a couple of kind of critiques of, of what uh, basically of uh, it gave me a notion of what I uh what what it could be but mm -hmm. um I, it felt like a bit of like a hollow or incomplete um like an unrealized uh technology and we can talk about which which of the different technologies i felt was were superior mm -hmm. um you recently saw another exhibit at somerset house and tell us about that one yeah so i saw um energy renaissance which was by shrinking space and um the whole thing was called Space to Breathe and it was about air pollution in London and basically drawing attention to that and sort of, you know, kind of environmental issues more more widely, but mostly air pollution. And so Energy Renaissance, um, uh, you start off with a 360 video of the Strand, which is obviously where Somerset House is, and then it becomes this computer-generated world and it's actually not interactive. It's pretty short. So the one that I saw, I there was nothing that I could do in that world that would change that world. But I, I was able to sort of turn around. And, I mean, you see it on all sides. It was pretty amazing. It was the first time I've ever done anything like that. And you see this little girl and her dog who are kind of like illuminated silhouettes. And they skip around and they kind of transform the space and trees start growing out of the roofs of the buildings and the prep becomes an organic cafe and it's supposed to be sort of, you know, the strand becoming this this more sustainable version of um, of itself, what it, what it could be. So... Okay, and um, you went and had a chat with the creator of th of that uh, yeah that experience, right? Yeah, his name's Andy Franskoviak, and he is one of two founders of this art science production company, Shrinking Space, which uh, which held the exhibition. Yeah. Okay, and he, here he explains how they chose the medium of uh, what uh, virtual reality. Mm -hmm. uh, immersive theatre stuff over the years. It felt like um, virtual reality can potentially, and obviously potentially is the big word in that, take another step um, in that immersive environment. And so we wanted to portray scientific realities that could play out in a virtual space. And so um, we wanted to see whether virtual reality um, really can give um, audiences an experience that perhaps immersive theatre can't. So it was quite an experiment, I think, as much as it was um, wanting to actually create a quality virtual reality, virtual reality experience. For whatever reason, right now in 2017, we have a need for things okay, to... Um, especially that come out with big... <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Um, so that was uh, Andy Frank... Uh, Franz Kobiak. Franz Kobiak telling us about um, why they chose that. Um, and um, I think the other um, interesting thing he, he talked to us about um, was 
Lauren. Yeah. He, so he he talked a bit about like the parallel between uh, between virtual reality and something like immersive theatre, um, and also about how kind of like the part of the reason that virtual reality hasn't really taken off as a technology yet is because there's not there's not the material there yet, um, and because there's been so much pressure on it to sort of explode as an industry. I mean, there's been so much in the media recently, like we've said, kind of for years now. Um, yeah, people are creating stuff in a real rush, and it does, hasn't had the same creative input from from storytellers and people who are actually good with with structure, creating creating material to 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 watch. So I think, yeah. Yeah, and he also mentions um, he also mentions some of the intent behind behind the exhibit. It has um, potentially more um, kind of a scientific stroke um, political intent, which is kind of which I I haven't necessarily seen in other uh, VR. So we'll listen to him talking about that. Energy Renaissance, the virtual reality, fell within the Utopia year um, that has just finished at Somerset House that was in collaboration with the Courtauld and King's College London. And the purpose of Utopia, the whole Utopia year, was to add a positive twist to the work that was being presented, the ideas being presented throughout the whole year. So we want to create opportunity, we want to create possibility, we want to create um, not just a, a dystopian environment that arguably um, is more about what the present day is. Um, we want to highlight the, the fact that there is everything, the technology, the science, the uh, personal ability to make a difference to actually change that environment. And so the, the idea of the virtual reality was actually to represent a, a number of scientifically plausible, technologically plausible, um, politically plausible ideas that could transform the corner of Waterloo Bridge, the Strand and Aldwych into a healthy, environmentally pleasant, um, positive space to dwell. Um. Yeah, so I think that's actually a really fascinating um, approach, and um, it sounds like um, there'll be more. I will. I hope there'll be more of that in future. And I think one of the things that dr draws me to virtual reality is potentially some of its really transformative applications. So around around learning, um, around experiences that could be emotional or somehow moving in a way that. Um, well, that we can't afford to or we're not able to realize in, in quote-unquote reality. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, I guess, like the something that virtual reality can do, which which film can't necessarily, is give you time to be in a space because with something like film, people lose people lose kind of concentration pretty quickly. I mean, the, the cuts are really short. You're constantly moving from one thing to the next. Whereas what virtual reality can do is just leave you to be in a space for a while. And, I mean, I think that what you're talking about in terms of like emotional impact or like conceiving futures or particular issues of sustainability i think that's really key um, i mean yeah that's really interesting because it seems almost counter to the uh, the you know the kind of the moment we live which is all of, all about you know clickbait and quick everything and um and maybe there's maybe there's something maybe that's one of the reasons that um in a sense that uh, virtual reality has been almost like slow to to it's like a slow burn in a sense it's been slow to become as important to people or as impactful as um that that it actually that it itself actually needs some time mm. and that people need to take the time um but one of the other interesting um points that he made um that uh 
um, was w w that has to do with the, precisely the notion that this is still a new technology and it needs to be given time and the, that there need to be um, new kinds of makers and creators to 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 to, cre to create these experiences, the ones that you're mentioning. Yeah, yeah, and I think like particularly what he stressed as well was that that is an interdisciplinary effort. It's not you're not going to have like a VR expert who is a specific kind of person. I think and what what Shrinking Space, um, his production company, is all about is sort of like, yeah, bringing together sort of scientific and technical knowledge and then the the more creative side. And um, particularly with the range of applications, I mean, uh, there's there's so much that VR could potentially be used for in the future, sort of from kind of training to entertainment. And um, so I think that interdisciplinary element is really, really key. Okay, here, here, here he is again talking about that. For whatever reason, right now in 2017, we have a need for things to, especially if they come out with big fanfare, to go, wow, this is going to be amazing. Is it amazing? It's not amazing. It's not going to work. Mm. We're very um, rushed in our narratives. And I think that um, all of these things need time. Yeah. They need a chance for the right person with the right idea to come in and create either an episodic story of something or other or, or something and actually... One of the having worked again in immersive theatre, a lot of things try to get shoehorned mm -hmm. into what might be um, of the moment, like Durigar. And I think that um, we need to be aware of the fact that, like I said earlier on, that something wants to play in virtual reality because it feels like absolutely the right place to do it, mm. rather than I want to make something in virtual reality, let me try and figure out what that might be. Yeah. And I think that the strongest artworks are always kind of, um, or films or whatever, are kind of passion pieces that, that kind of somebody's had probably burning away for years and years and years. And that because of the fact that the art form has been going for years and years and years. You've got time on your on your side, whereas virtual reality is something that feels like people are like, I need to be producing stuff now, and I'll just chuck anything into it. And so the bad thing about that is that people get used to seeing clunky, not very good quality um, virtual reality experiences. Um, and so people just need to give it time because of the fact so that's quite interesting um, from our perspective, uh, especially that we we definitely think people should give gadgets time and uh, respect them mm -hmm. and think about keeping them for the for the long haul. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found that particularly provocative. Also, just because he he meant um, Andy mentioned that you know it's, it's a bit like the early days of cinema, mm. and I was kind of thinking to myself, well, in the early days of cinema, everyone didn't buy a film projector. No, yeah, <laughs> that's true. You you go and try it somewhere, but. I mean, actually, when he was talking about that and when I was doing the VR, I think the parallel that struck me was maybe with the novel, the first invention of the novel. Because, I mean, when the novel came out in sort of like the 18th century, people were saying, this is dangerous, it's an individual thing, you experience it by yourself. Um, you know, what is that going to do to the brains of all these people who are sitting in a room by themselves instead of going out into the world, they're sitting in a chair and reading a novel. And um, I think it has that, that immersive quality that something... That, that a book has you sort of go in there and you come out and you're like whoa like, yeah the real world again you know um so yeah i think there's the fear of it slightly comes from this like this the, the notion that's individual which is something that is different with cinema it's, you don't yeah it's very you're in your own head in a, in a way 
I think. I guess I, I think, and it's he seems to allude to this, um, but I think that what the, the the real issue is seemingly the commercial side of it and the, the notion that this has to become, you know, a pervasive consumer technology that everyone has in their houses tomorrow. And that it seems as though the tech press has been very much pushing that in its narrative. Um, mm. And well, let's start. Well, let's now that we've talked about, you know, the why and how um, how effective and interesting virtual reality can be. Um, let's talk a little bit about okay so what's available to the average person and a little bit about the hardware itself um in both of the exhibits we saw some of the more um more widely available hardware was used um i believe in the one i saw we used uh samsung gear headsets and then we also used the htc vive which which was connected to you know a processor a computer by a cable and i have to say that the experience that i most really enjoyed um at the Bjork Digital was definitely the the rendition of Not Get, which was with the HT, HTC Vive headset. And it was a much, uh, well, th there was more processing power. There was more of a, a feeling of actual virtuality, like mm. that I was within a space. Um, and in, in that one, the, um, the viewer or the person experiencing it is is um, presented with this, um, I don't even, totemic uh, being <laughs> in front of them, which which slowly grows in size, and you can kind of work your way around this, well, this character um, as, the, as the sound, you know, crescendos as well. It's really, it was really cool. But it had me appreciate that that was a pretty probably expensive piece of hardware that I was attached to, and that I'm not, I wasn't about to run home and get one for myself yeah they are expensive so shall we work people through the the kind of entry level um uh way of using virtual reality is to use a headset where um, where you essentially where you put a mobile in it right yeah so the 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 most basic form is kind of like this cardboard i mean you've probably seen them i think the i've Google seen them cardboard. for sale in sort of tesco or yeah. you know you see them everywhere yeah. it's it's like a cardboard box and then you just slot your smartphone in and then you can use your smartphone as sort of you know diy kind of vr headset uh they're not great i mean i've tried it it's it's pretty cool as like a very first experience but then yeah. i think the novelty wears off pretty well and the samsung quickly. gear maybe is a slightly a step up from that so it's assuming yeah. that you have a pretty nice samsung and then it, it um it's designed to slot the phone it's got an actual um a port in it and it it, yeah. it improves the the image slightly and i i believe that's run off of oculus software yeah um i i i wasn't as moved by that experience that i had with that but i can see that it would be a good taster for somebody yeah and then uh well then after that you sort of move into like the more expensive headsets and there are three main competitors at the moment so there's the htc vive the oculus rift which is owned by facebook and then also the um playstation one and the one i tried was oculus rift and it was really great i mean it was it was pretty cool uh, the headset actually didn't fit me that well <laughs> but that's because my head was it not small. adjustable or was it literally too wide like... i think i don't really know i mean i think it was it w probably was adjustable but there was a queue of people and yeah, so i just sort of okay. you know sat there with it very much kind of drooping down on my face <laughs> oh that's but, yeah. really sad sounding <laughs> yeah. um Okay, and so what are the so comparing all of them? Um, uh, so the 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 advantage, I guess, the uh, the immediate advantage of in terms of the average person who might want to get involved is that the 
the PlayStation headset integrates with your, is it PlayStation 4, with your Sony PlayStation 4? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's basically all you need for that one. You just need the, the PS4. Yeah, yeah, and the other headsets, you need a pretty high-spec high, um, high spec computer to actually use them properly. Yeah, it's apparently only 1% of computers in the world are capable of running Oculus Rift and... Um, HTC Vive. So yeah, so it's a pretty big investment for someone at home. Um, it it seems like the kind of thing that um, uh, we were talking about in the office that that like that will come naturally to gamers and people that really you know enjoy experimental you know um, interactive games and other things. So yeah. it seems that that would be a, a natural in, for for a lot of people. Um, I you know I I can't see everyone running out and upgrading their PC um, and buying uh, how much are the headsets roughly? An $800 yeah. headset? Well, to- yeah, so that's the other thing. I mean, the Vive is £800 thereabouts. Oh, pounds, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the Oculus Rift is £500 and the PlayStation, which is supposed to be the affordable one, is £350. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of money and especially if it's not something that you know you're going to enjoy. I mean, like, very few people have spent a long time with, with VR yeah, enough to know where they want to invest eight hundred pounds in it. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, and I guess there are other questions around, and I, you know, about the software that are driving these, and like with any gadget, it's really important to understand the interaction between the hardware and the software, and how much is the software going to continually be um, updated, and how much is your headset going to be updated. Um, yeah, and oh, I'm not. I mean, I know very little about the plans of each of these companies. Um, I do know they're in quite stiff competition, mm. um, and there may not be space for all of them. Um, and I haven't really done any r- research into like the durability or repairability of these headsets. No, I although mean, I imagine they don't get too much abuse. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard to say. I mean, I think probably the main the main problem with something like that is is you'll trip over the wires because if you've got a headset on you obviously can't see what you're doing so and it it still does need to be plugged in um so i think like yeah that's the main the main thing maybe is damage to the wires i'm not really sure about how durable the headsets are themselves i wonder um, if we'll see that in a restart party of the future is yeah. helping people uh, br- uh, deal with broken leads for maybe, their, yeah. their headsets and maybe there won't be restart parties they'll only be virtual restart parties <laughs> Well, that is one really potentially compelling um, use for well augmented reality and potentially even virtual reality is teaching and teaching of technical topics and and repair. Um, well, we talked to, we talked with Andy a little bit about precisely the is the current approach to VR feeding into this kind of our throwaway mentality towards electronics and kind of a I must have it and then um, I get bored with it. Um, yeah, and one interesting question you had I remember was. Um, is there is there a possibility that that if you have um a, like a virtual world that you can then travel and shop in maybe you don't need to do those things in real life so is that going to positively sort of well a bit like the way the pinterest board seems to satisfy some people it's just to collect yeah. pin things that they haven't actually bought could virtual reality in some way help us like disembody some of yeah. some of our more um i don't know frivolous uh, impulses or ideas yeah um so here's andy because of the fact that the entry level virtual reality is uh, either the gear, which is obviously, um, in, you know, is your phone essentially, or cardboard, which again is your phone that, that uses um, that in the cardboard sense quite rudimentary, but in the gear sense, obviously a kind of headset that goes with it. it it's, it's, 
a technology that is we have a habit, a huge habit of throwing away every couple of years or whatever actually is that I think it's I think I had recently it was two years is the lifespan essentially of somebody's phone before they'll either throw it away, hand it on to somebody else or whatever actually yeah. happens to it. And so because it's dictated at the moment on the mobile phone, which makes it a wonderfully democratic technology, but it also means that it just becomes part of that um, journey for the technology. Um, and I, I don't know the numbers on, say, Oculus Rift, but um, I'm not sure how successful it's actually been in launching and becoming a, mm. a kind of a new technological option for people seeking entertainment, yeah. as it stands, because that has more of a potential of lasting longer just because people keep their Sony PlayStation 4s or whatever other and bigger entertainment devices for longer um, than they would do their mobile phone. So, um, yeah, that was quite interesting, and it had me reflecting on um, whether, you know, for example, would a Samsung Gear headset actually outlive the phone that's placed in it? In other words, mm -hmm. we do, like, a bit like a keyboard that you use, you know, again and, again. You know yeah. again and again and for 10 years, and is that a possibility? Um, and then, of course, the notion that, yeah, that the more we invest... The, the better we're going to take care of something and that we might actually keep them for longer. So the, is, it, is it that these higher value uh, virtual reality sets may actually, um, may actually be used for longer? Um, it's kind of something we might have to get somebody slightly more expert to, um, to help us with. Yeah. Um, well, I guess there's always, I mean, the risk as well that it'll, they will just get cheaper and cheaper and then, you know, people will be more likely to throw them away. But I guess that depends on how you, how you kind of see the future of, VR and there are p some people who think you know are skeptical about the fact that it will take off at all really you know um what about the okay the the famous uh, uh Gartner predictions about the hype cycle so yeah. you went, you went and <laughs> you went to find out what Gartner says about the um the hype cycle in relation to virtual reality yeah so the Gartner hype cycle is this this thing that comes out every year where they sort of place different technologies on this on this uh, graph and it's kind of got five stages. It's got the technology trigger and then this big peak of inflated expectations and a trough of disillusionment, which sounds so dramatic, and then a slope of enlightenment and then it plateaus into productivity. And That's very idealized, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, it's been widely criticized, but people do use it. I mean, it does come up in the media again and again about sort of, you know, people will be like, oh, the you know, this latest technology is at the top of the peak of inflated expectations. But, um, yeah, so VR last year was, uh, VR and AR, I think, last year were in the trough of disillusionment and just heading up into the slope of enlightenment. So, uh, but I mean, I don't, I think this is probably very specific to like um, certain kind of tech media companies because the average person I don't think ever experienced any. Oh, I think there may really? have been a trough of yeah. disillusionment with VR. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I guess, well, I'm hopeful that people have a more kind of realistic and calm vision yeah. of, of what that the it plateau. may take. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that it may take longer, and that it's not um, that the expectations probably were pretty yeah. much inflated. Um, yeah. I'm okay. And one of the other things that you had mentioned to us that's probably worth looking into, we we might not get to it uh, today, is 3D sound. Yeah. So, I mean, just briefly, this is something that's been around for a really long time, actually, longer than VR or AR. The technology's been there and we've had the know-how. And uh, there are kind of two forms. There's 3D sound that you can record using a 3D sound um, recorder, which is essentially like a dummy, the head of 
dummy of a human head with microphones placed in each ear and it's supposed to exactly mimic the way that a human head will hear sound because uh, right. of the way the sound's heading yeah, heading into these microphones. Um, and it's just basically these technologies are now having a bit of a second wind in light of VR because you need good sound to go with... You need immersive sound to go with immersive visuals. And um, what's recently... Princeton has recently come up with this thing called the Bark Filter, which is B-A-C-C-H, and it's basically something you can add on to any headphones or any speakers and play any song through it, and it transforms that into into three... So if I had one right now, I could plug it into my computer... Play any song and it would be in 3D sound, apparently. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds like something we should uh, look into and talk about in future. Yeah. Um, Well, thanks for bringing these topics to us. Um, You've been listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. And um, if you need help with a gadget that has a battery or a plug, including a VR headset or anything else, um, you can bring it to a Restart party. We have one... um, this Saturday in Ilford, and there are more you can find out about on our website, therestartproject.org, or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, thank you to OptoNoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which is not yet 3D, but me, <laughs> which was made with lasers, plastic discs, and discard electronics. Um, and we're here every Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. Until next week.